Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, Father, please bless your word as we challenge ourselves with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I um, want to uh, uh, continue. Um, it's, uh, I, I, we're grateful to Pastor Badge for doing a wonderful bridge. How many remember Pastor Badge's message last week? Yeah, how many were blessed by it? Amen. That tells me you were blessed by it. That it's, it's, it's with our hearts that we believe. Amen. Um, and prior to his message, um, I shared a message that was titled Avoiding a Fatal Heart Attack. And that's where he followed from. Uh, in that message I shared, we started by understanding that everything begins with the heart. That the, the heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, the Bible is not talking about the physical muscle that is in our chest that is beating and sending blood around our bodies. But the Bible is talking about something deeper. It's talking about this, the seat of our uh, emotions, our will, our intentions, the place that decides who we are and what we do. The Bible puts it like this in Proverbs 4 verse 23. Uh, we said that uh, when we said that. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of Life. Uh, the Passion Translation says, So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of, of life. And, and so we understood that when the Bible talks about the heart, it's really talking about the inner man. It's talking about the spiritual heart, uh, what I call the central processing system. And we understood that that when God looks at a man, he looks at that heart. That's how God judges a man, because that's the real man. And we gave many examples about when God did that. Uh, if you remember, we spoke about how uh, when Samuel went to anoint uh, uh, David as king, uh, God said to him, men look on the outside, but I look on the heart. And we, we, real, we also spoke about how if, if the enemy wants to destroy a person, he goes for the heart. And that we've got to be careful, watch our heart, guard it, be diligent, um, so that the enemy does not attack our heart. Because if he, if, he, if he attacks our heart, if he infects our heart, the rest of life is affected. And we spoke about certain symptoms that we should watch out for. Uh, almost like in a natural sense, when you, have, uh, when you, get, you get certain symptoms, it it, it points you in the direction of a particular disease. And we said we, we watch those symptoms. And then we spoke about the kinds of hearts that the Bible talks about. A deceitful heart, a hard heart, a proud heart, an unbelieving heart, um, a cold heart, an unclean heart. Um, and as we go on today uh, to, to continue along those lines and build on what Pastor Bard shared, uh, we must understand that the heart 
in man is fundamentally faulty. That it, it, we are born with a faulty heart. Fundamentally so. Um, The Bible says in Jeremiah 17th chapter and the 9th verse, "The, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That's the New Living Translation. That, that's just the nature of the human heart. It is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And you know, when Solomon saw the state of the heart, uh, this is what he said in Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter and the third verse. He said, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after, that, and after that, they go on to the dead. Solomon looked at life uh, and thought, this is crazy. This is madness in the hearts of men. And I'm sure you, you sometimes look at things and you think, this is, this is madness. I, I mean, I've felt that many times, that this is insanity. This is crazy. It's the nature of the heart of man. And when Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, he drove home that point about this fundamentally flawed heart of man. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 17, 18, and 19, this is the Passion Translation. This is what Paul says. He says, so with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say... You should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusions. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. Now, you would wish you could categorically say that was outside the church. But you and I know we wouldn't be telling the truth if we didn't admit that this also has crept into the church. And that just shows you that there's just something wrong with a lot of hearts. The symptoms we spoke about, the coldness of the heart, the, the, the struggle to love, the lack of contentment that is now in the church, the absence of joy, uh, the, the desire the desire to compete with others, the list goes on and on. Anxiety and worry, uh, where the Christian work has become dull and boring, the list is endless. All those things are symptoms that there is something wrong with the heart. heart. So today we want to talk about heart surgery. How does God perform this heart surgery? Because it's obvious that heart surgery is needed. The prophet Ezekiel gives us a pointer in Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, verses 26 and 27. And for the next you know, few weeks that I share this, um, not next Sunday, but the next few weeks, um, this will be the foundation text. Now, this text comes on the back of a nation that has gone astray. They're doing as they want. They've turned away from God. Their hearts have hardened towards God. They've become disobedient. But then this is a picture of grace and mercy because God says to them, 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So God prophesies to the nation that despite all you've done, your disobedience, the hardness of your heart, you're not yielding to me, you're not worshipping me, not submitting to me, you're doing things that are despicable, that are evil, that are wrong, you're not loving your neighbor like you should, I'm going to do something about it. And the beauty is that God says, I am going to do something about it. It's God who initiated this heart surgery. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Now, this speaks of a spiritual transformation. And it doesn't really start until our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes. And we get a glimpse into what this is like in a conversation that takes place between Jesus and a very highly educated lawyer and a member of the, the religious ruling hierarchy. John the third chapter. A man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, came to see Jesus by night. Now, of course, we have, we've heard it many times that he came at night because it just wasn't on that the Pharisee was going to fraternize with Jesus. Jesus was the bad guy as far as they were concerned. But then he had many, this was a man who was troubled by many thoughts in his mind. The Bible tells us that he had seen Jesus do these signs and wonders and he was convinced that God must be with him if he could do these signs and wonders. And so he goes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, it's obvious you're a teacher from God. No one can do these things unless God is with them. Jesus ignores what he says because, of course, the heavens had set this encounter for you and I, for us to understand a fundamental truth that was about to be revealed to us about a new heart and a new spirit. So Jesus ignores what he says, signs and wonders. Obviously, you must be from God. And in accordance with heaven's plan, Jesus goes straight to the matter at hand. He answers him and says, most assuredly, and that's a, a, a confirmatory statement, is like saying, I'm saying this over, I'm saying this a second time for emphasis. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then the man Nicodemus said to him, but how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Legitimate question, correct question. Because Jesus is talking about being born again. And he's saying, well, how does that work? I'm already born and I'm already so many years old. And then Jesus answers him and says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless he is born of water and, and, of the, and the spirit, he cannot enter 
the kingdom of God. So first he says he can't see the kingdom of God. He can't perceive the kingdom of God. He can't understand the things of the kingdom of God. But then he then goes on to say it's even more, it's even, it's even a stricter application. He can't enter the kingdom of God. He can't be a part of the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh and that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know, you hear the term, these born again people, almost as a derogatory term. It is the most precious thing that a person can have to be born again. And it's not a Pentecostal thing. It's a kingdom thing. I know Pentecostals would seem to have grabbed and have the soul preserve of being born again, but it's not a Pentecostal thing. Every member of the kingdom of God must be born again. Catholic, Baptist, Anglican, Methodist, it doesn't matter. Because this is not anybody speaking. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus is saying, if you are not born again, you can't see the things of the kingdom, understand the things of the kingdom. You will be trapped in religion. There will be no revelation of God except you are born again. I found this and it really struck me. And I want to share it with you. If a nation passed a law that said no one could live there except those who were born in that nation and someone wanted to live there who was not born there, think about this naturally, it wouldn't matter if that person took a name that was common in the nation. Because the law says you have to be born in the nation to be a citizen of, the, of, of that nation. So if that person thought, well, a lot of people are called David. So I'm David. That does not qualify the person to be a citizen of that nation. So the fact that someone says I'm a Christian does not mean that the person is born again. The person might attend a church. The person's family might attend a church. But the yardstick that is set by Christ himself is that you must be born again. It wouldn't matter if the person spoke the language. The law is clear. You can only be a citizen if you were born in the nation. So the person can say, I speak the language. That should qualify me. But the law says, no, it doesn't qualify you. So there are many who speak the Christian language. When we're joking, we say it's Christianese. They say the right things. You hang around them, you hear the right phrases. But that does not mean that they are part of the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that they are citizens. They have to be born again. It doesn't matter if the person observes some of the customs in that nation. They can go to church. 
They can observe some of the rites in church. There are many in many churches that are not citizens of the kingdom by the standard that Jesus himself has set. It doesn't matter if the person dresses like those in the nation. That's why I, I, I find it offensive if people want to use clothing to determine whether you're, 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 whether you're a kingdom citizen or not. It doesn't matter. That's your preference. It doesn't matter if he practices some of the religious traditions of the nation. It doesn't matter if his parents were born in the nation. So that your parents are good Christians, born again, spirit-filled. doesn't matter. Like they say all the time, Jesus, God has children and there's no mention of grandchildren in the Bible. It doesn't matter if the person's friends are part of that nation. All that matters is that he was born in the nation. So this tells us clearly that Jesus wasn't talking about a moral or religious reform. When he's talk, what, what he's talking about is deeper than that. He wasn't talking about an enlightening of our understanding. He wasn't talking about a man just being, becoming good. You know, my father is getting on in years now. And for many years, the, the discussions between me and him about faith always fell down at one point. He just could not understand that goodness will not take you to heaven. I remember he would say, and I'm going to be surprised, that on that day, he will be there before me. Of course, I always said amen, but he didn't know why I was saying amen, because I knew that you, you, you are going to have to become born again. The reason he said that was, he would say to me, you mean all these good things I've done don't count? All these people I've helped, all these sacrifices I've made. He said, you mean it doesn't count? And he just could not understand when I said to him, it counts in that you've helped people. But in terms of being in the kingdom, it doesn't count. You must be born again. That's what Jesus himself said. So it doesn't matter. It's not some moral regeneration. It's not putting away some bad behavior. It's not becoming a better person. All those are by, will become byproducts of being born again, being a kingdom citizen. But it is that Jesus says you must be born again. He says you must be born of the Spirit and of the Word. It's not something that you do yourself. It is something that the Spirit of God does. You must be born, one translation says, from above. It's a new life. It's a regeneration. It's a new birth. It's becoming a new creation. 
It can't be done by man, but it's done by the Spirit of God. That's why the church is struggling, because a lot of what we think are conversions are not really conversions. There are people giving their assent to a way of life. But that's totally different from being born by the Spirit of God. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter and the 17th verse, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Something happens when, we are, when the Spirit of God gives birth to us again. I remember talking to someone about becoming born again. And the person said to me, I just don't like this term born again. Born again, born again. What is this born again? I said, forget born again. Can we do new life? And I was ready for him. If he said, I don't like new life, forget new life. Can we do new creation? I don't like new creation. Forget that. Can we do regeneration? All meaning the same thing. That the Spirit of God gives birth to a person. That's why it had Nicodemus. Nicodemus was confused. What exactly does this mean? How can I be born again? He was thinking physically. But it's not a physical rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth. The journey to heart surgery can't start except there is first a spiritual rebirth. And for us, the prayer has to be that the Spirit of God will move in our cities and in our nations. It's not going to happen by the strength of our arguments, by our eloquence. It's not going to happen because we can articulate the things of the kingdom. It's going to happen because the Spirit of God moves through and touches hearts and, and brings people to that place where they give their lives to Christ and start this journey. And for those of us who have already started the journey, it's just a start of the journey. As we continue in this series, we will begin to understand how it's just the beginning of a journey as we are transformed daily into the image of Christ. As our heart is molded the way that Christ, the way that God wants it molded. Can someone say amen? And so we pray for the Holy Spirit to come. That's our heart's desire. That the Holy Spirit will come. Because he's the agent of this surgery. That he will come into our own hearts. That he will come into our families. He will come into our cities. He will come into our nation and the nations. That the Holy Spirit should come. It's not the work of a man. It's the work of the Spirit of God. How many, can someone say amen to that? Father, we thank you. So we say, Holy Spirit, please come. Come. Now, I don't know where you are. Um, someone, someone might have started this journey already, but the Spirit needs to do some work in, in, in our hearts. Someone might not have started the journey at all. 
Um, someone might be desperate for something to happen in their family, in their community, in their church. Uh, what we're asking is for the Spirit of God to just break out. How many say amen to that? We desperately need a move of the Spirit of God. Let's just cry out to the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Oh. 